I really am thankful again for the opportunity to be here and just thank you for your hospitality, for your kindness, for your attentiveness, and just the blessing to, to be back a part of this great church, and I really, really do enjoy it. Brother Paul said to me before service, he said, uh, said you preached four times, one of them's been good. He said, so bring it home tonight and you'll be batting 250. <laughs> to my defense, I've preached five times. And if he would have been awake, two of them were good. So, there. <laughs> Take your Bibles tonight and go to Exodus chapter number 18. Exodus 18, if you're able, stand with me. We're going to read parts of this chapter here. Exodus 18, it's just again, it's my desire as it always is when I preach out, just to preach to you from a pastor's heart and preach to you something that uh, has been a help to, I believe, Bethany Baptist Church and the people I pastor, and I think can be a help to you and to this church, and so I trust this will be a help tonight. So let's look at chapter 18. We're going to begin in verse number 1. The Bible says, When Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses, and for Israel, his people, and that the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt, then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her back, and her two sons, of which the name was Gershom, for he said, I have been an alien in a strange land. And the name of the other was Eliezer, for the God of my father, said he, was mine help, and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife unto Moses into the wilderness, where he encamped at the mount of God. And he said unto Moses, I, thy father-in-law Jethro, am come unto thee, and thy wife and her two sons with thee. And Moses went out to meet his father-in-law, and did obeyance, and kissed him, and they asked each other of their welfare, and they came into the tent. Moses told his father-in-law that the Lord had done unto Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, and all the travail that had come upon them by the way, and how the Lord had delivered them. Jethro rejoiced for all the goodness which the Lord had done to Israel, whom he had delivered out of the hand of the Egyptians. Verse 13, And it came to pass on the morrow that Moses sat to judge the people. And the people stood by Moses from the morning unto the evening. And when Moses' father-in-law saw that he did to the people, he said, What is this thing that thou doest to the people? Why sittest thou thyself alone? And all the people stand by thee from morning unto evening, or even. And Moses said unto his father-in-law, Because the people come unto me to inquire of God. When they have a matter, they come unto me. And I judge between one and another, and I do make them know the statutes of God and his laws. And Moses' father-in-law said unto him, The thing that thou doest is not good. Thou wilt surely wear away both thou and this people that is with thee. For this thing is too heavy for thee, thou art not able to perform it thyself alone." Hearken now unto my, counsel, unto my voice, and I will give thee counsel. And God shall be with thee, be thou for the people to Godward, 
that thou mayest bring the causes unto God. Thou shalt teach them ordinances and laws, and shalt show them the way wherein they must walk, and the work that they must do. Moreover, thou shalt provide out of all of the people able men, such as fear God, men of truth, and hating covetousness, and place such over them to be rulers of thousands, and rulers of hundreds, and rulers of fifties, and rulers of ten. And let them judge the people at all seasons, and it shall be that every great matter they shall bring unto thee, but every small matter they shall judge. So shall it be easier for thyself, and they shall bear the burden with thee. If thou do this thing, and God commanded thee so, then thou shalt be able to endure, and all this people shall also go to their place in peace. So Moses hearkened to the voice of his father-in-law, and did all that he had said. Let's pray. God, one more time we come before thee and just want to thank you for the good services we've had so far. And Lord, I just pray that one more time tonight that you would speak to our hearts. We've taken a lot of effort and, and to be here and to be in our place where you've commanded us to be. And so God, I pray that we put the same effort into just getting everything out of your word that you would have for us to get tonight. Lord, we're completely dependent upon you, upon your spirit and his work in our lives. And God, as we've already discussed today, I pray that at the end of the service, whatever the work is that you do in our hearts and lives, that God, we would be responsive to it. We'd take action. We're going to thank you in advance for what you do. In Jesus' precious name, amen. You may be seated. I suppose the, the term has been around for some time, but it seems like as of late we, we hear it more than maybe we have in the past. And the term would be this, lone wolf. Lone wolf. Because of some of the terrorism that, that our country has experienced over the past years, it seems like, especially in the media, that that term comes up often. In fact, just last year there was an attack on a, a country music festival in the gunman Stephen Paddock, as I woke up on Monday morning and heard about this, this atrocity that had happened, and began to watch the news very, very early in that day, they began to say, it appears this is a lone wolf attack. A lone wolf attack. Lone wolf, it simply refers to a person or an animal that generally lives or spends time alone instead of others. In the instance of a lone wolf attack, it's somebody that acted alone, that worked alone, that what they pulled off, they did it alone. And the term originates, of course, from wolf behavior. You see, the wolf is normally a pack animal. But occasionally, you'll find one living on its own. Uh, many times, especially the females, later in life, they will be driven away from the pack and forced to live on their own. Or if one is sick and left behind, it will be uh, left alone. And the implication is, is that when you see a lone wolf, uh, that there's something wrong with that lone wolf. You see, wolves are very social animals, and they're meant to run in a pack. And so when you see one alone, you know that, that something's wrong, something is not right. The idea, though, is not only true when it comes to animals and wolves, but I believe it's also true when it comes to the people of God. You see, our God is a social God. 
Our God desires fellowship with His people. And God not only desires fellowship with, with us, but God made us and created us to be social beings so that, that we would desire to have a, a fellowship and, and social outlets outside of just even our relationship with God, but with one another. In other words, we function at our very best when we are around other people. The Bible makes it clear from the very first pages that we work our very best when we're around others. You see, we find Adam in the garden. He's all alone, just the animals. And we find that he's in a perfect environment. He is surrounded by animals. And it seems like everything in his world was perfect as it could be. But the Bible pointed out that there was not a help meet found for him. And so God himself said in Genesis chapter 2, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make and help me for him. Because God knew that we are at our very best when we're surrounded by others. God never intended for you, God never intended for me, God never intended for any believer to go at it alone. And so the same way if we were to look at a wolf and see a lone wolf wandering around in the wilderness, the same it would be when we see a Christian or we see a believer and, and they are off on their own and they have separated themselves from the pack and, and they're out on their own, we should look at that and know that something is not right. A, a Christian should not be alone. A guy by the name of William or Billy Knight, and uh, who was a standout basketball player for UCLA. Just this year, or just within the last few months, he committed suicide. And when he committed suicide, he left a suicide note. And here's what he said, part of what he said in the note that he left behind. He said, and I quote, I just want to say that I have lived a life of sin lied, I have cheated, and I have stole. But listen to this next statement. He said, I isolated myself from my family members. I isolated myself from my friends, end quote. And then went on in his letter to explain that when this happens, or when you see this happening in the lives of those around you, he said, please take heed. Something is wrong. When you see somebody begin to isolate themselves, when you see them begin to pull away from those around them, it's not natural, it's not right. Something is wrong. And certainly it is. See, the children of Israel in this portion of the Word of God, they've been set free by the blood of the Lamb. And now they're beginning to move forward in their journey of faith. It is very early in this journey from Egypt to the promised land. And God is now early on in this journey. He is teaching them some invaluable lessons that were not only going to help them right then, but was going to help them in the days ahead and as they moved ahead in this wilderness journey and on into the promised land. And he has now taught them already in just the chapters leading up to this that he is a God that is able and capable and willing to meet their every need. In chapter number 15, they come to the bitter waters of Morrow and God says, I can take care of 
of that. In chapter number 16, they come to the wilderness of sin, and they're hungry, and their soul loathe the food that they had. And God said, I can take care of that. And he sent them quail, and he sent them manna. In chapter number 17, they come to Rephidim again, and there's no water there. And God says, I can take care of that. And he gives them water from a rock. And then in chapter 17, in the latter part of it, he teaches them his ability to be able to defeat their enemies. Because Amalek had come and attacked, and God said, I can take care of the enemy that comes your way. And then showed them through a very powerful way, by the holding up of Moses' hands, that, that the, the victory is not in mankind, but the victory comes from God. And so this text this morning, or this evening rather, he's still teaching them lessons. And the lesson that he has to teach them is simply this. That there's a need for others in your life. There's a need for others in your life. The scripture that we've already read, it began as Moses and his family were reunited. And it's incredible because after reading of several chapters of trials and complaints and battles of the Israelites, it's kind of a relief. We finally come to a chapter where it describes the calm of Israel and it shows it that the nation of Israel is a quiet place of family and fellowship and even daily business taking place. And by the way, I'll just throw in that life is not always hunger, and life is not always thirst, and life is not always warfare, although that's what we are tend to remember. Life is full of blessings. Charles Spurgeon said this, that God's people are more prone to engrave their trials in marble and write their blessings in sand. We need to be careful about that. We met Moses and his family clear back in chapter 2. But now they're, chapter 18, they're coming back home with Jethro, his wife, and Moses' wife, and his two sons. They're coming back, and someone says, where were they? Why were they there? Well, there's several theories out there, and some would lead you to believe that Moses had great marital problems with his wife. I see no proof of that. Uh, others say that before uh, he knew that God was about to declare war in Egypt, that he sent them back for their safety. Uh, well, if that was the case, I don't know why he would have ever brought them from Midian to Egypt. Egypt because he knew as soon as he got there, God was going to do that. And so I personally believe that they were traveling along and it might have been a location where it was real good for mom and the two boys to go see grandpa and see grandma and spend some time with them. That's always good. And now they've got settled and they're out of Egypt and the location where they're at is good. And so Jethro says, it's time for you to return. I'll take you back. It's safer that way. And so he leads them back to get back together with Moses and dad. And so... In verse number 8, Moses begins to recount to Jethro, his father-in-law, of all the working of God in their lives. And in verses 9 through 12, Jethro rejoices, Jethro celebrates, Jethro worships God for all that he's done. It's just a great celebration. But then the next day comes in verse number 13, and we see Moses, he's headed right back off to work again. Uh, family's back, and it was a great time, and he could have taken a week off, and he could have enjoyed his family and entertained his father-in-law, but as a faithful shepherd and a hard worker, he goes right back out to work the next day, and he's going to begin to do his job of helping the people with their problems. Now, you don't have to be a Bible scholar when you read this portion of Scripture to know that if you have two million people, they're not going to be able to live together without having some disagreements and some disputes. In verse 13, it tells us that those who had these disputes, that they came to Moses and he would judge them. It says, and it came to pass on the morrow that Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood by Moses from the morning unto the evening. 
And so this occasion, he's out there and he's judging the people. And it seems very early in the morning, they begin to line up and come to Moses with their problems. And all throughout the day, they continue to filter through. And into the late evening, they begin to filter through. And all the while, Jethro, he didn't interrupt. He just sat back and he observed and saw what was going on. And so that in verses 17 and 18, he comes to him and he said, Hey, man, I'm just going to give you some advice here. I want to, as your father-in-law, I want to give you some help here. The thing that thou doest, it is not good. And Jethro knew that Moses' leadership was crucial for the future success of Israel. And that any activity that demanded and, uh, so much and that would drain his energy, that it would inevitably have an impact on his health and on his spiritual abilities, which would filter over to having an impact on the whole nation of Israel. And so verse 18 is very descriptive. He says to Moses, he says, If you continue to do this, thou, shalt, or thou wilt surely wear away. Both thou and this people that is with thee. This thing is too heavy for thee. Thou art not able to perform it thyself alone. He said, Moses, what you're doing, it's too much. It's too much for any man to handle. It's too much for you to do. And if you continue to do this, you're going to wear away. You can't continue on this way. These people can't continue on this way. There's no possibility that any man is strong enough to perform what you're doing himself alone and continue to do it day after day after day. Let me just stop right here and say that you don't have to be leading two million people to feel this way. You don't even have to be in the ministry to feel this way. Life often leaves all of us overwhelmed. Life often leaves many of us feeling like we're just hanging on. I was driving this summer to, to junior camp. Just a, a busy time in ministry, as, as summer often is, and just from one thing to another to another to another, and, and we're headed off, and, and I'm tired, and I'm weary, and, and we're driving to Eufaula, Oklahoma for junior camp, and, and, and my wife was there, and she's trying to talk to me, and I was just really not talkative, which is what I do when I get tired and cantankerous. I feel like it's just best just to kind of keep to myself, and she kept talking, and I kept just kind of being quiet, and finally she said, what's your problem? And I said, I'm just tired. And she said, well, that's understandable. And then I just kind of opened up to her and I said, you know, Lisa, I said, I'm just really tired of being tired. Not only am I tired, but I'm just really tired of being tired. It seems like it's a way of life. It seems like every day I'm just doing everything I can to just get through that day. And then the next day brings more and the next day brings more. But I, I know that I'm not alone. There, there are some in this room tonight and, and you feel the same way. You're tired. You're weary. You feel like life just continues to throw things at you and throw things at you. And, and, and life begins continues to demand things of you. Your family demands things from you. Your church asks things of you. Your workplace asks things of you. Just to function in this life, it, it has a way of leading us all to what we would even feel like we're sometimes we're almost to a breaking point and that if life throws one more thing our way we may not be able to handle it in fact I, I believe there's probably two types of people here tonight there are those that are humble and they would admit I'm hanging on by a thread preacher I just feel like I, I don't have much more I can give and I, I, if one more thing comes up I don't know that I'm going to be able to handle it the problem is, they have no idea how to change it. And then there are those, 
I hope not too many tonight, and hopefully none, but that are arrogant and think, not me. I don't care what life brings my way. I can handle anything. Well, that's foolishness. We can't. I don't think that Moses was the second. I don't think Moses was arrogant. I don't think he sat back and thought, listen, Jethro, you don't know what you're talking about. I'm Moses. I'm empowered by God. Whatever comes my way, whatever they throw my way, I'm strong enough. I can handle anything. I don't think that was Moses. I think that he knew within himself, I can't continue to do this. I can't continue to go like this. I can't continue day after day after day to do this. I just don't think that he knew what else to do. So the truth of this text is that we all have a tendency to be overwhelmed. We all have a breaking point. The truth is that all of us are in danger of catastrophe if we try to go about this alone. No person here is capable of living life as a lone wolf. So Jethro, in his wisdom, he has some advice to him. He says, here, I'm going I'm to tell you what you need to do. But before he tells him what he needs to do, in verses 19 and 20, he says, here's what I don't want you to do. Here's what you don't need to do. He says, hearken now unto my voice. I'm going to give you some counsel. I I know that you're right here at the very verge, and you can't continue to perform this. You're going to wear away. So I'm going to give you some counsel. And he says, and God's going to be with you. And here's what he says. Be thou for the people the Godward, that thou mayest bring the causes unto God. He says, continue to be their spiritual leader. Continue to be there for these people and and intervene between them and God and help them with their issues. He says, continue in verse 20 to teach them ordinances and laws and to show them the way wherein they must walk and the work they must do. Moses, I'm not telling you to, to stop doing everything. I'm not telling you to pull back. I'm not telling you to quit. I'm telling you, you, you need to continue to go forward and do what God's called you to do. You need to continue to be for these people what they need you to be. And you need to continue to teach them and help them. In every way. So he's not telling him to quit. Quitting is never the answer when life gets tough. So many people start discontinuing the things that are are vital for their spiritual life. And and they say this. They say, preacher, something has to give. Well, you just don't understand. Life is so busy and something has to give. But unfortunately, most often, it's the things of God. He's not saying, you stop, you back off from the things of God. He says, you need to continue to go forward and do the job that God's called you to do. But here's what I am going to advise In verses 21 and 22. Thou shalt provide out of all the people able men, such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness, and place over such over them to be rulers of thousands and rulers of hundreds and rulers of fifties and rulers of ten. Let them judge the people at all seasons. And it shall be that every great matter that they shall bring unto thee, uh, bring unto thee, but every small matter they shall judge. So it shall be easier for thyself, and they shall bear the burden with thee. So here's what he suggests Moses to do. He says you need to organize the camp and so that every ten people would have somebody to talk to with their civil problems. And if the ruler of 10 couldn't solve it, then they would be referred to a, to a ruler of 50. And if the ruler of 50 couldn't solve it, then they would go to a ruler of 100 and then 1,000. And after that, if nobody could solve the issue, then they would be referred to Moses. And he makes it very clear in verse 21. There's some criteria that needs to be on these men that would come alongside them and help them. 
They needed to be able men. In other words, they needed to be capable of, of doing this job. They needed to be men that feared God and had a relationship with Him and walked with Him. They needed to be men of truth, men that He could trust, that they would be honest and fair in their judgment. And they needed to be men that hated covetousness. In other words, they needed to be men that couldn't be bought, that couldn't be purchased, uh, no matter what people threw their way, that they would be fair in their judgment. And a system such as this... If they would do it this way, it would separate the simple problems from the more complex matters so that Moses wouldn't be spending his days on trivial matters. I'm convinced of this, that if the people of Israel were anything like the people of today, everybody thought their problem was the most important. And everybody thought that they needed Moses' attention. So Jethro's advice to Moses was simply this. Son, you can't go at this alone. Any attempt in doing so is going to take a serious toll on you, both physically and spiritually. So here's what you need to do, son. You need to find and surround yourself with some godly men, some godly people that can help you carry the load and that will help you through this life. If you'll do this, they'll help you and, and it'll relieve some of the burden off of you and some of the pressure if, uh, that's on you and, and, and the fact that you're overwhelmed now. It, it can help you with that and, and make it so that you continue day after day after day to do the work that God's called you to do. But here's the thing, the message wasn't just for Moses. The message was recorded for the children of Israel. God wanted them to know. Because he understood that the children of Israel, as they went forward in their journey, they might begin to think, well, I can do this on my own. I don't need the, the, my fellow brothers and sisters. I, I don't need those that are uh, within this nation. I can do this on my own. I don't need anybody. And God was saying, hey, no, you do need those around you. And I put you into a, a group of people. I put you into a family. And if you'll stay with that family and you'll help one another, you'll be able to go farther and do more than you could ever do on your own. And so it's for the children of Israel. Israel to realize, hey, instead of arguing and bickering with all those around me, I need them, and I need to utilize them, and I need to find in my life some, some people, some men and women who are going to be able, and they're going to fear God, and they're going to be truthful people, and they're going to be people that hate covetousness. I need to surround myself with those type of people. But not only that, it was written for you and me. God knew we would get this. God wanted us to understand the importance not going through this life as a lone wolf, but surrounding ourselves with godly and honest people that can help us when the load gets too heavy to carry, that can encourage us and hold us up as we go through this life. You see, God does this in, in, in a couple of ways, in a few ways. I, I believe God does this, and God surrounds us and puts people into our life to help us. We just have to utilize and allow them to help us. And one of the avenues that God does that is God places us within a family. Do you understand the, the help and encouragement that a family can be to one another? The, the way they can help each other and strengthen each other? I've been married for 23 years, and we've been in full-time ministry for just over 20 of those years. And here's a most amazing, amazing thing. In 23 years of marriage, over 20 years of full-time ministry, never one time in our marriage have I been down have my wife and I both been down and discouraged together at the same time? Doesn't always work that way, I suppose, but it has in our marriage so far. When I'm down, it seems like my wife's up. And when my wife's down, it seems like I'm up. I mean, I go home on a Sunday night and I, sweetheart, 
what is wrong with these people? What is wrong with this? I'm so frustrated. I'm so discouraged. And my wife will look at me and go, why? It was a great day. What do you mean it was a great day? Did you not see all of these things? Do you not know? What are you upset about? This is the greatest church in the whole world. And she's so excited. And very quickly she begins to pull me back to where I need to be. And there's times I go home and my wife will say, can I talk to you? And she has some burden she's carrying. And I'm telling you, it always seems like it's on the greatest day. And I just begin to encourage and help her. And it's amazing how it works. My wife's there. I hope I'm there for her. To help her, to carry that load. I need that. Listen, wives, your husband, he goes out, and I know some, many of you ladies do as well, but your husband goes out and he works, and the pressures that comes his way throughout the day, sometimes nobody understands and nobody realizes, and he comes home, and he might even seem a little short or a little cantankerous and just tired and physically and mentally wore down, and he sits in the recliner, and you want to get a little upset at him and think, you know, we've been here without you all day, and you come home, and now you're not paying any attention to us. Hey, maybe you need to realize that he's carrying a load that's so heavy that you can help him with. And rather than getting onto his case, maybe you ought to just come over and put your arm around him and say, hey, here's a glass of iced tea. Looks like you had a tough day. I just want you to know I love you. I'm here for you. Dinner will be ready in a while. and Maybe we can sit down and talk about it then. Just encourage him. By the way, men, we can be a phenomenal encouragement to our wives. Heard a story recently about a man that went home from work. He went to pull up into his driveway, and there were bikes all over everywhere. There was plates of food in, in the front yard. I mean, it was just every toy it looked like that was in the garage was spread out. There was stuff that had rolled out into the street. He's looking around at the mess. He gets out. He walks into the house, and the sink is just filled with dishes, Somebody had bought, uh, spilled a box of Cheetos all over, or Cheez-Its, uh, Cheez all over the kitchen floor. And I mean, they had stepped on them and crunched them everywhere. And I mean, there's just a mess all over the floor. Looks over at one of the kids, and he's asleep, and he has a can of Coke, and it's spilled on the couch. Looks over at his little girl, and she's coloring on the wall. He walks into the bedroom, and his wife's laying there in bed watching TV. And he said, what in the world is going on around here? And she said, you know, you come home every day and you ask me what I did all day. He said, yeah. She said, today I didn't do any of it. <laughs> Occasionally, I need to walk in the house and realize that God's placed me into my wife's life. Not so that she can live life as a lone wolf, but God gave her a husband that can come in and pick up and help and and be a resource and a help to her and an encourager to her. That, that's the way a family's supposed to work. And, and you understand, our children can be that way. Just on Friday night, we're, we're walking back to the dorm after the services. And I said to Keith, because he was there and it wasn't my wife, I said to Keith, I said, man, these things are always so difficult when you go and preach out because you never really know the, the people well enough to know if you did a good job or if the, what you was preaching was good. And, and Paul hadn't told me yet that I had struck out on both of those. So uh, I'm like, man, I, I, just, I just really don't know. I, you know. All you can do is just trust that the Lord used the messages. And he just looked at me and he said, pretty good response, Dad. I said, yeah, it was, buddy. What an encouragement. What an encouragement. 
There's been times when my daughters have picked up the phone and called me, encouraged me. There's times that they need their dad to come alongside them. Listen, he's going to school on Tuesday. I don't want him to go to school as a lone wolf. I want him to know that he has a father that has his back and that I'm here for him. And when he comes home, that his dad's there for him. I'm not too busy for him. And I want my girls, even though they're off at college, I want them to know that at any moment they can pick up the phone and they have a dad and a mom that has their back. I told our kids that are going off to to school last Sunday night, I said to all of our, our students in our school, I said, I want you to know that you've made decisions at youth camps and you've made decisions at youth conferences and now you're headed off to school and you think that when you get there you're going to be all alone but I want you to look around this building tonight and I want you to see the people sitting in this room and know that we got your back and we're there for you and all you have to do is pick up your phone and text us and we'll take you to lunch we'll encourage you, we'll pray with you, we'll send you scriptures we'll do whatever we got to do because you're not alone God's given us a family to do that God's given us a church again never cease to amaze me how when people get overwhelmed, the first thing that goes is church. Hobbies, they still find time for them. Kids' sports, they still find time for them. Overtime they need to pull, still have time for that when it comes to church. Do, do you understand the strength that is in this room? Do you understand the resource and help that the men and women of this room can be to you? When you get overwhelmed. What a blessing a church family is. I I give my sisters a hard time. And and rightfully so. But the truth is I I do. I love my sisters. But when I left uh, for Bible college at 18 years of age. I never really went home again. I, I haven't lived next to family for my entire adult life. I have sisters that are down in South Carolina. I have sisters and parents that live in California. I've never had family that is, cl- that is really close. But you know what I've always had is I've always had a church family. And what an encouragement. What a help a church family can be. Don't, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Come together and, and help each other. You say, well, I don't have any problems right now. Well, yeah, well, maybe somebody else does, and maybe it's not you that needs the, the, the somebody to come into your life and help you. Maybe you're the one that needs to go into somebody else's life and help them and encourage them. I think it's amazing. Not only God gives us a church and a church family, do you know what God's given you? God's given you a pastor. And a godly staff. You know, no, they, they fit this criteria. They are men of, that fear God and, and the staff and their wives. They fear God and, and they're people of truth and they hate covetousness and they're able, they're capable. I, I promise you that the staff and the pastor that you have, they're more than able, they're more than capable of coming alongside of you and helping you. Don't withdraw yourself from them. Run to them. Embrace them. Allow them to help you when you need it. But you also understand this, and I believe you've exemplified this just recently. Not only does God give a church a pastor, but he gives a pastor a church. See, here's the thing that I don't suppose the people at Bethany Baptist Church realize. I've been where they are. I've been just a lay person in the church. I've worked a secular job and... I understand that all that comes from that. I understand what it's like to get up early and work all day and then come to church at night. Work all week long and 
and, and to come in on Sunday on one of your few days off. I, I understand that, and I'm not making light of it because I've been there. I know the pressure that it is to work in the places that you work. But here's something you don't know, church. You don't know what it's like to be in their shoes. You've never experienced the pressure. And there's nothing like it. There's nothing like the pressure that Moses faced. And there's nothing like the pressure that a pastor and his wife face. See, one of these days, you're going to stand before the, the judgment seat of Christ, and you're going to give account for your life. Men, I believe we're going to give an account for our families, because we've been called to be spiritual leaders. And so you are going to give an account for your wife, and you're going to give account for your children. And I'm telling you, men you, in this room, you understand the, the weight that that is, knowing that you're going to give an account for the way that you led your family. Yeah, now... Try to be responsible for an entire church. This man and this woman, is gonna, they're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ, and they're going to watch every one of you give an account for the life that you live someday. And they know that. Do you understand the pressure that's on them? I, I, I doubt you do. And that's okay. Nobody knows the phone calls that a pastor receives. Nobody gets the, the text messages that come in late at night. You, you understand, preachers don't get a day off. It's 365 days a year, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. There are no days off. If I go on vacation, I'm telling you, if I go away for my 25th anniversary trip in a couple of years and I'm over in some exotic island and I get a call and say that deacon so-and-so has been killed in a car accident my wife and I get on the plane and we come back home right. nowhere I go do I get to take the mantle of a pastor and just set it aside and say eh, I don't have to deal with this no it's a pretty heavy load you know what God's given your pastor? Oh, he's given him a good staff that helps. God's given him a church. And you'll never know the help that you can be by coming alongside him and helping him carry the load and encouraging him. I had, a, again, a, just a real busy time. It was about the same time I told my wife I was tired of being tired and got back from junior camp. And uh, on a Thursday, and had a wedding rehearsal on Friday, and a wedding on Saturday, and so I come back in, I mean, I'm already tired, you know how camp is, and, and I just get home, and it's like clean up, head to this, this wedding rehearsal, go through the wedding rehearsal, after it we go to a dinner, and, and the next day is going to be just a, a credible, busy day. And because just weddings have a tendency to do that, because it's not just the wedding, it's the cleanup afterwards, and all that goes into that. So we have the wedding rehearsal, and we go out to the country club there in Lubbock. And we have a meal, and, and quite honestly, I, just, I wanted nothing more than just to go home and get some rest. But we went out there anyways because they invited us to do it, and it was the right thing to do. We had the meal, stayed around in fellowship, and I'm walking back out to my car. And one of my best men, Greg Wilkes, he said, Preacher, can I talk to you? Sometimes when people say that, you just, oh, okay. He said, I loved Brother Aaron Denson. He 
let me phrase that. I love Brother Denton. Because when God took him from our church, I was so frustrated. He said, but pastor, I just want you to know, you're the best pastor I've ever had. And I love you. And no words could ever express, preacher, the encouragement that you have been to me and my family and the help that you've been to me and my family. I just want you to know I love you. And I will always be behind you, no matter what. Man, I went from tired and just wanting to go to bed to, let's go get some coffee. <laughs> let's get some ice cream. Life is good. I mean, I was so excited. Just what I needed when I needed it. You can do that as well. You can do that as well. So let me ask you a couple questions and we'll be done. Number one, how are the relationships in your life? God's placed you in a family. How's the relationship that you have within your family? Listen, husband and wife, if things are strained right now, get it right. God never intended for you to live in the same house but live separately. God, God intended for you to be a unit. So if your marriage isn't where it needs to be, get it right tonight. Don't live as a lone wolf, but, but come together and work as a team. How's your relationship with your kids? Do they know that as they go into this school year, you've got their back, and they don't have to go out and try to, try to live for God alone, but they've got a mom and a dad and a family that is there and supporting them and is there for them at any moment. How are the relationships in your life? How are the relationships within this building? You need the people in this building. Let me ask you this, how, have you allowed yourself to be vulnerable and for others to see that you could use some help? It might just be there's someone here tonight, you say, preacher, you're preaching right at me because I'm telling you, I am overwhelmed and I'm living as a lone wolf and I'm trying to carry this load on my own. Hey, why don't you make yourself vulnerable? Why don't you go up to somebody tonight and just say, hey, I'm, I'm struggling with what that preacher said, and I just need someone to pray with me. I just need someone to encourage me. Would it be okay if we had coffee this week? Would it be okay if, if I gave you a call this week? Would it be okay if I text you some this week? The question really boils down to this. Are you going to allow the people God has put into your life to be a help to you and an encouragement to you and allow you to accomplish even more for Christ? Or are you going to live as a lone wolf? Don't be that lone wolf. The very first thing that happens when people start to slip away from church is they begin to isolate themselves. And they begin to go out. And when you see that happening, you know something is not right. Don't run away from God. Don't run away from His people. Run to them. And allow them to be the help that God intended for them to be. Every head bowed, every eye closed.